You're listening to the Bridge Christian Fellowship Message Archive. We meet Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Seattle. For more information, visit thebridgeseattle.org. Today's message is The Good Life, The Persecuted, the ninth and final in our series on the Beatitudes by Pastor Dan Dameron, given on September 3, 2017. The scripture reading comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We are uh, wrapping up today our look at the Beatitudes. Um, I'm calling it the, the good life. Um, and in light of that, I thought I would give a little recap of where we've been. This is uh, week eight, and we've talked about the eight different uh, blessed statements that Jesus made. Uh, so I'm just going to read those and talk about the kind of the attitudes that Jesus was coming against and the kind of replacement countercultural attitudes that Jesus is trying to build in us. So in ver- verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The world might say happy, uh, happiness equals self-sufficiency. Uh, having your life under control, not, not needing help from anybody else. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus says that the truly good life can only be found when we understand that we don't have it under control, that we need others, especially God, uh, and we cannot save ourselves. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The dominant culture would say, if you want to be happy, you've got to avoid any situation that exposes you to suffering, whether that's your suffering or other people's suffering, uh, and you want to definitely avoid anything that would cause you to mourn or to sacrifice. But in the kingdom of God, we are called to grieve over oppression, not to turn away from seeing it. And when we grieve, that we will find comfort in God. We should experience sorrow over sin, whether it be our own sin or other sin, uh, and, and look to God for comfort about that. Verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, The standard cultural statement would be, take what you can get. Get back at anybody who hurts you. Uh, Never show weakness. It's a dog-eat-dog world. But in the kingdom of God, and the family of God, we're called to be gentle and non-coercive. We're not called to be passive, or as I said, as Seattleites, passive-aggressive. But we are called to be non-violent. We're not called to force anyone into anything or manipulate them into anything, but we trust God and his deliverance when we find ourselves in moments of conflict. Verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Our culture 
calls us to hunger and thirst after material things. Our economic system is based on that. Uh, and underlying that is the idea that we will find security in possessions or in power. But Jesus says that righteousness or right relationships, particularly reconciliation with God, is where we can find surety in an unsure world. The other stuff may come. He will bring us what we need. Uh, but those things are not critical if we know him. In verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Our culture tends to say that relationships are based on performance. I will love you if. What have you done for me lately? But in the kingdom, we are called to treat our enemy as a friend, as Jesus did with us, to show favor, be compassionate, be gracious, demonstrate kindness, to show mercy as we have been shown it. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Our culture finds purity to be uh, unattainable and therefore uh, not something to be sought after. Only the naive would do that. But Jesus calls us to be clean and pure in our lives and in the ways that we treat those around us. We're called to walk justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. To be single-minded, not to be sullied by the worship of idols. And if you want to translate that to our time, when we're probably not putting small statues on the mantle, maybe we are, um, to not pursue the created uh, instead of the creator, but only to worship God. Verse 9, last week we talked about, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Our culture, maybe especially Seattle culture, says stay out of conflicts. Let, let people fight out their own things. You don't want to get your hands dirty with other people's stuff. But those who follow Christ are called to be peacemakers, to build shalom, wholeness, health, justice, economic prosperity, right relationships, reconciliation, we are called to actively build these things, not just stay out of trouble. And as I talked about last week, the cost of peace generally falls on the peacemaker. That leads us directly to, uh, to today's particular verse. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The message we receive in general is to be happy, you need to have everybody like you all the time. And the other side of that coin, it's terrible if somebody does something bad to you or says something bad about you, especially if it's something that you in no way deserve. Those of you who've known me for a while know that I tend to have issues with, uh, with road rage. Um, and when does that really come out? Is when somebody does something wrong on the road and then they, like, flip you off, like, wait, you're going to cut me off and then you're going to act like it's my fault? That's, that's when it really comes out. So, um, we'll probably come back around to this, but as we, as we talk about persecution, uh, and I mention this uh, fairly often because I, I think it's a danger, we need to be sure that we are being, if we're going to, if we're going to trust in this promise that, w that we'll have the kingdom of God because of persecution. It's persecution for righteousness' sake. Not, blessed are you when you are persecuted because 
you were a jerk. So what, we'll maybe unpack that a little bit more, but I just want to get that out right, right at the beginning. Um, I think when we look at this verse, uh, it's important to talk about the term persecuted too. Now, I don't like to often go to, here's the Greek word and this is what it means because I have not taken Greek. As I said before, uh, I, I would love to have taken Greek. I don't want to ever take Greek. So if I could just skip to that other part. But in this case, uh, the word that we translate persecuted is gioko, and it originally means to pursue or to chase. Um, and it gradually gained the connotation of to harass or treat badly. So while, as Americans, we should avoid being too dramatic about any resistance we encounter, uh, I think it does apply to circumstances that we might find ourselves in, where somebody um, has a problem with us because of our beliefs, or somebody uh, is annoyed by behavior that is driven by our beliefs. Um, we should, of course, keep in perspective the persecution that we might encounter in our context as compared to how much worse it has been in the past and how much it remains so much worse in many other places. Um, for example, our, our friend Melissa that spoke uh, well, a month and a half ago, you know, she has just landed uh, in her new spot, and if, it, if the authorities became aware of why she was where she is, she would be deported. Uh, I have some other friends who have been in another country for uh, about 12 years now, uh, and it's a constant thing. Uh, you know, I, I was on the phone with him once, and uh, he had to, when they hadn't been there very long, and he had to keep kind of catching me, you know, it's the don't, you know, you can't say, can't say church, you know, you got to say the, the, the people, you can't say pray, you know, I will remember you to Father. It's, you know, you have to talk in code because all of the conversations are tapped, and if you say enough of these uh, kind of bad by their standards words, then it gets flagged, it gets kicked to somebody who actually listens to the recording, and then, and then you're on the road. Let um, me see a major uh, geopolitical event. The, the nation of Sudan had to be split because of religious persecution. If, uh, boy, some of you, this may not seem as big a, seems like just yesterday to me, but uh, there was ethnic and religious genocide happening uh, in the Darfur region of, of Sudan, and they had to split the country now into Sudan and South Sudan. Um, conversion to Christianity is still a capital crime in, in many countries. Um, so this is, this is an active issue in a lot of places, and it's an active issue for us with much smaller consequences. When we talk about this, I, got, I have a big quote from John Piper talking about the structure of the Beatitudes here. There are two groups of four, and each group ends with a reference to righteousness. The first group ends with, the verse, with verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the second group ends here with verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The three Beatitudes that lead to the hunger for righteousness are descriptions of a kind of holy emptiness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn over their needy condition, and the meek who hand their cause over to God. It is natural that these three descriptions of emptiness and need should be followed by a description of hunger. 
If you don't have something, you hunger for it. Then the next three Beatitudes are descriptions not of emptiness, but of fullness. The hunger is beginning to be satisfied by an overflowing mercy, a pure heart, and a power to make peace. So the righteousness longed for in verse 6 is given in the form of mercy, purity, and peacemaking. The result is persecution for this very righteousness. Uh, and he comments a little bit later. In verse 10, the persecution is on account of righteousness, but in verse 11, it is on my account. So if we're wondering what righteousness looks like or means, Jesus equivocates it to what we do to be like him and, and on his account. So following his words and his example is the righteousness that will bring persecution. Um, another pattern we can see that Jesus built into uh, the Beatitudes, into this, this opening part of his uh, Sermon on the Mount, his discourse on the small hill by, uh, by our standards, I'd say, um, is the accompanying blessing. So number one and uh, number eight both end with, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what that tells us, uh, well, for one thing, it tells us why we can rejoice and be glad in the face of this. So uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, um, the slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. So, it reminds us that all of these things, the emptying out, the filling back up, and the resistance that we face are in the context of being a citizen of a new country, a child of a new family, and that, that we're going somewhere that makes it worth the trouble. Um, everything in the Beatitudes uh, is a description of what it looks like to be in Jesus' family, not a checklist of, of tasks to get something. Uh, so some might ask, well, why would the righteous be persecuted? Even those, uh, even those with different religious stances, um, there tends to be a lot of overlap for whatever your spiritual stance on what people ought to do. So why would the righteous be persecuted? And, and We've looked at other passages saying, um, you know, behave in such a way that even the people who want to attack you can't, uh, can't really find something to say bad about you. Well, I think the main reason that righteousness is persecuted is that when you set righteousness next to unrighteousness, the very actions pronounce judgment upon the unrighteousness, even if we don't act judgmentally. And remember... If we're going to experience persecution, let's do it because we're being righteous and they're reacting to that, not because we're being judgmental, not because we're being uh, overly in somebody's face. But uh, I have a few smaller examples of this. Uh, the first one is about uh, my friend Andy. Some of you have met. Andy is not a follower of Jesus, but he has a strong code of his own that he is... Uh, pretty meticulous about following. And the first summer after we went off to school, he got a job with the Grace Harbor County Forestry Department. Um, and they would hire crews of, uh, of young guys to, to clear log roads and, uh, and 
and prepare slash piles. Uh, and apparently for several years, what this had basically been was a chain of ne'er-do-wells looking for a way to have a summer job where they didn't do anything. Uh, Andy came back from school, got on this crew, and uh, in, in the two following summers after this summer, I was on that crew, and there's so much time when you have a government job, like mandated breaks, that we felt like we were, you know, you spend an hour driving out to your spot in the woods, then you have to have, you know, you work for an hour, you have a break. You work for another hour, you have lunch. You work for another hour, you have a break. You work for another hour, and then you spend an hour and a half driving home. So we thought, this is not much work anyway. But the guys on the crew before Andy got there uh, apparently really couldn't be troubled to do much. They would basically show up, get out the tools, maybe drop a few branches to, so that if somebody came, it would look like something had happened. And then they would get in the truck and take lunch for like three, four hours. After this had been happening for a couple weeks, uh, Andy was like, I feel terrible not doing any work, and this is boring. Like, it, it's more fun to cut branches out of the road than to just sit in the truck doing nothing. So he got out and started working. The other guys decided that he was trying to make them look bad, and so they tied him to a tree until it was time to go home. Um, there may be something else about Andy, because when, when we first went to, from uh, elementary to junior high, he got stuck in a locker on the very first day, um, even before we were in junior high. But, so there may be something else about him, too. But in this case, what it was is his belief that, it, that when you have a job, you actually should do the job, was received as, as judgment or an attempt to make these guys look bad, and they reacted by, I, I think that's a, that counts as persecution, being tied to a tree for hours. Um, so we see that happen pretty easily. Um, probably most of you, if you've had a job where you were trying to work hard and other people were trying to slack, they get mad about that. A uh, friend of mine, former, former boss of mine, said that his brother would never, uh, never wanted to come over when his wife was home um, because he thought that she, was, that she was judging him. Now, anybody who's met Michelle Jacobson should know that she is the least judgmental person I can think of. But... Just because she's a really good person, every time he came over, he felt like she was silently judging his, his bad uh, decisions. Uh, and I guess he didn't think that about uh, my friend Ron because they'd grown up together. He'd known Ron before Ron was a believer, and he'd only known Michelle in the context of, of her um, really trying to, to live out the teachings of Christ. But yeah, without any direct statement, he still felt that enmity. And in, in perhaps the most trivial way, but I think one that we've probably all experienced, if you go out with a group of people and it's like, all right, we're going to just pig out, and then somebody's like, well, I'm, I'm going to eat healthy today, then everybody's mad. Like, we were going to have fun, and you're bringing down the party. Now we all feel guilty about our order. You know, it had to win around the table. So you see, when, when someone tries to do the right thing when other people are not, uh, it is automatically received as judgment. Um, but let's, let's reiterate, make sure that you're being persecuted because of righteousness, 
for Jesus' sake and not because you're a jerk. Um, a guy named Jean Vanier, Vanier, I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, wrote, there are two dangers for the friends of Jesus. The first is the temptation to make compromises with a culture that marginalizes and crushes some people in order to avoid conflict and rejection. The second danger is the temptation to like to disturb the status quo. When we are rebels at heart and like to shock people, we can create a fight in order to be in the limelight. We can do some of these things unconsciously, experience rejection, and then think that we are being persecuted like Jesus was. So, as I mentioned a couple of times during this series, I am the kind of guy that likes to be in people's face. And so it'd be very easy with my personality to say, look at them rejecting the gospel, when in fact they're rejecting my unfortunate manner of interacting. It's, it's important to identify, uh, we talked about this a little bit last week, where you fall on that spectrum so you know how, to, uh, how you need to encourage your own behavior and which direction you need to go. Now, uh, also in this passage, we're called to rejoice during persecution, and that is maybe the really, uh, the really countercultural part. Uh, you might say, hey, I understand that when, you, when you're on a, a mission, you're going to encounter resistance. But then we go even farther, and he says, rejoice when all these bad things happen to you. And how, how is that even possible? Well, uh, the first thing, the reason that we are told to rejoice is that that's, what, that's how people treated Jesus and the prophets before him. So, one reason or manner in which we can rejoice in persecution is that we understand that it represents something about our connection to Jesus. If we encounter these kinds of behaviors and we've reflected on our own behavior and, and say that it was in fact uh, because we were being righteous, in this, being righteous and doing things on his account, then we can say, all right, well that is a positive uh, event to to say, here's evidence that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And in going through what he went through, we are made more like him. So the second reason that we can rejoice is it's, it's like how when we embrace the pain of training. So if you've, if you've been on a sports team, or maybe if you're uh, a CrossFitter, or if you are a runner like I used to be and now can't quite remember why I liked it, but there's a certain thing, I, I remember thinking this, I can't get there now uh, at my current age and weight, but I remember when I was young and slim that uh, you get, I don't know, mile eight or something, and everything would be burning, and you're like, yeah, take that. I'm, I am experiencing pain, and I'm pushing through it, and, I, and somehow I win because I'm in pain. Um, well, the reason that we... The reason that we think that we win is that we know, um, was it just last week I was talking about, that the, that the body is lying, that the pain isn't real, that the pain isn't coming, well, sometimes it's, it's coming from actual damage, but most of it is not coming from actual damage. It's coming from, from reaching a new level, from being able to achieve goals that once would have seemed impossible, and that only comes through pain. Um, whatever your sport, whatever your discipline, um, that's, you know, playing music until your hand cramps, um, studying until your eyes get blurry. We, we, if we do not push 
until it's uncomfortable, we do not advance. And in time, we see that we are getting better. We, uh, in this particular case, that we're becoming more like Jesus. Because those things strip away uh, some of the some of the things that the cultural message drives us to. Um, at first, to do something that causes us to mourn seems, seems awful, and I, I can't take it one more minute. But as we continue to push through, uh, then we find the joy of helping other people in pain. All of these things seem uh, insurmountable at the beginning, but the farther we walk with Jesus, uh, we come to a place where we are doing things that the 10-year, 20-year-ago us uh, would have been very impressed by. And as we get better at these things, we get to see God's mission of reconciliation in the world being accomplished. And we see ourselves more able to participate in those works, and that's where joy can come, even in the face uh, of persecution, in the face of pain. So, we will, um, let's spend a minute looking at a couple of questions to, uh, to consider as we, uh, as we try to process this passage. Uh, and they'll come up on the screen in just a minute. But number one, which temptation that uh, the guy with the French name uh, brought up are you more prone to? Are you prone to compromise too far because you fear persecution? Or are you prone to create a fight where there didn't really have to be one? As we go about our days trying to, uh, trying to be like Jesus, uh, I always say, um, when, when I feel like I should do something and I wonder whether or not that's a, that's a word from the Lord speaking to me or if it's just a whim in my mind, I say, well, what am I, what am I like? Is this just, is, is this thought driving me towards the things that I would normally like to do anyway, or is it, is it pushing my buttons, is it, is it challenging me? And so, usually, usually, the thing that challenges us is the thing that we can more trust to be God's voice. Um, and question number two, do you think that you are confident that the Lord has you in his hands, whatever circumstances may come. Because that's what allows us to step out in this way. It's what allows us to step out in, in any of these ways, um, but especially when resistance, when persecution comes, the thing that lets us say, I gotta keep doing what I'm doing, is if we, deep down, can trust that God is gonna take care of us, no matter what it looks like. So, let's take 30 seconds of silence to think about these, but also, you know, hopefully you'll be able to reflect on these uh, through the week as well. But right now, let's think about this for a moment. I'm going to wrap up with 
Two scriptures and one quote. The first scripture, 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 12. This is Paul, towards the end of his life, um, trying to encourage and exhort Timothy, who uh, you know, he called his, his son in the faith, kind of who he saw his, his heir in the work. And he said, You, however, have followed my teaching, my contact, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul says to Timothy, you've, you've seen what my life is like. He's trying to get him to, to have the same life. Paul wants Timothy to pursue the same life that Paul did, um, and he's not sugarcoating. He's saying, you, you know what's happened to me, being, being beaten, being pegged with stones. Um, and he says, that's just what's going to happen, but the Lord rescued me out of everything. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul, after some of these things had, had already happened to him, said, all things God is turning to the good of those who love him. Shipwrecks, beatings, snakes, fires, all these things somehow are working not only towards the achieving of the overall mission of reconciling people to the kingdom, but in some way, they're working even to our good. A guy named Jim Elliott, um, who went to try to reach out to really isolated tribes of people in the Amazon, um, and who was repeatedly uh, told and pled with by local people to take firearms if they were going to go into those places, um, responded that he wasn't going to do that because uh, if, you know, he didn't want to set the stage by it being with weapons. And they said, well, they're going to kill you if you don't have guns. And he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In the face of all of this, um, what we most need to remember is ours is the kingdom of heaven. We do these things because we've been brought into God's family. And in that situation, everything else, as Paul said, is a light and momentary trouble, whatever it feels like in the moment. So let's pray, uh, and then we'll transition back into um, worship and, and, and singing. Lord Jesus, Thank you that you did not consider the sacrifices that you made in, in, in becoming human, uh, in, in being rejected, in facing rejection, uh, and ultimately giving your life, that you did not consider those uh, insurmountable obstacles. But, uh, but you chose the eventual prize of, of us uh, as being worth more than that. And so I pray that you would help us, that you'd, you would fill us with your spirit so that whatever, whatever resistance, whatever persecution we face uh, will, seem, will seem small uh, in light of our connection to you. And, and thanks for the, the privilege 
of participating in what you're doing. Yeah. Thanks for listening to today's message. To find out more about The Bridge, or to listen to any message from our complete archive, visit thebridgeseattle.org.